0: So today we're going to be continuing a sermon series I started off this last week where we're looking at the names of Jesus, the titles given to Jesus in the prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. Now, let me just start this with a question for you. How many of you have a hard time waiting until Christmas in order to give presents to other people that you're excited to give? Anyone else? Yeah, I'm the worst at this. I have no problem waiting now in adult life till Christmas to open my own presents, but I am terrible at waiting until Christmas to give presents. And my wife, Summer, famously almost every single year says, you are going to ruin Christmas because there's going to be nothing left to open on Christmas Day. And then if you're like me, you solve that problem by going out at the last minute and buying even more gifts so that they have something left to open. Now, last week, we actually looked at the text and discovered that God was so excited about the gift that he was going to be giving to humanity that 700 years before Jesus was born, God began to talk through the prophet Isaiah about his son Jesus, the Messiah, who would come into the earth. Now, actually, God started telling about his son Jesus way before this. In fact, if you go back to the very first chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis, you will discover the first mention of the Messiah, that Jesus would be born the Messiah. The first time we see the Messiah in the text is when God is telling Adam and Eve that one day someone's going to come that's going to crush the head of this serpent once and for all speaking of His Son, all the way back in the garden. And so this idea, this song, this melody, O come, O come, Emmanuel, has actually been around for a really long time. People have been waiting for the long-promised Savior, the long-promised Messiah, and God had been telling His people about the coming Messiah from the very beginning. So let's jump right into our text today. I'm going to tell you, friends, we are going to look at a lot of Scripture today. We're going to look at some big Scripture uh, passages and see what the Bible has to say. But remember, when we're looking at this text, we're going to look at it a little bit more uh, widely today in Isaiah chapter 9. This prophecy that, that Isaiah the prophet is bringing to King Ahaz is coming at a time where Judah's in real trouble. He's a wicked king sitting on the throne. There's an army, the Assyrians at the doorstep to their northern neighbor kingdom. The civil wars divided the kingdoms. Now the northern neighbor who's been divided by civil war is saying, hey, would you join back with us to fight against the Assyrians? And actually our other enemy, the Syrians, are going to fight with us as well and And the king is wondering, should I take the deal? Should I not take the deal? God sends a prophet, Isaiah, says, do not enter in to this deal. I will protect you myself. And there's a whole bunch of prophecy that's given in this time, including prophecy that's going to be about the one day permanent solution to the problem that the nation is facing. And we're going to look at that in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Isaiah the prophet says, nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walk in darkness and have seen a great light. On those living in the land of of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us today as we come uh, to your word. I pray that you help bring your word to life in our hearts and our minds, but more so than us just knowing your word, I pray that we would become obedient, God, to be doers of your word. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we started by looking at the very first name mentioned, uh, the very first title given to the future Messiah, the Wonderful Counselor. We learned that in Hebrew that was Pele Yoetz, the Wonderful Counselor. And this week we're going to be taking on the next title, Mighty God. And we're going to be looking at how this baby Jesus can be called Mighty God. Because this is an awful bold title for a baby, isn't it? Imagine receiving a birth announcement in the mail from a friend with a charming picture of the baby that said, the baby boy born December 10th, 2023, eight pounds, three ounces, 23 inches, and not the name Kevin or Jeff or uh, Liam, but the name Jesus, Mighty God. That's a bold title for a baby, isn't it? This Hebrew word, Mighty God, is actually one that I love, one of my favorite Hebrew names for Jesus in the Bible. It's El Gibor. El Gibor. El is the in the El Gibor, is that word Elohim? That is God in Hebrew. So the first time we see El Elohim in the Old Testament is actually verse one of the Old Testament. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Right from the very beginning, this is the most commonly used word to refer to God in all of the Bible. It's this word, Elohim, and it's shortened to just the root, L or God. Now, when you see it with a capital letter, capital E-L, Elohim, that is stands for are God the one and only the true God and it actually define means the mighty God that's what L with the capital E means the mighty God Now, all over the Old Testament, you'll see the lowercase version as well, lowercase e. It's a generic term used for God, just like we call those gods or idol, and we use a lowercase g instead of an uppercase g. The same thing is true all throughout the Old Testament. When you're referring to a pagan god or a false god, they'd still use the term L, but it would be not capital E It would be a lowercase e, and so the Hebrew writers, knowing that we're using the same term to refer to a pagan god as Almighty God, decided that the best way for clarity to deal with this issue was whenever they described the one and only living true God, they usually paired this name El with another descriptive name so that you and I would understand that we are referring not to some pagan god, but to the one and only God. So here, in our text that we just looked at, we have the name El Gibor. El Gibor. And the basic translation of this, Gibor, is strength, or might, or mighty, or powerful. So, gibor is actually the adjective. Let's get, let's get nerdy here for a second, right? El is the noun. That's God. And then gibor is the adjective that modifies the noun, that gives the description, that helps us understand what the noun means. And so, we have mighty God, and then we use this adjective, gibor, which means mighty. So, actually, translated... Literally, Isaiah 9-6 would say, and he would be called the Mighty, Mighty One. Now, I love that name for God. That's like one of my very favorite names in all the Bible, the Mighty, Mighty One. That is the name given to the Messiah that would be born, the Mighty, Mighty One, El Gabor. So here's what I want to do today. With the time we have, I want to look together together. And how understanding that Jesus is the mighty, mighty one, El Gabor, how that affects our lives, how that affects our world, how that affects our understanding. Because let me just tell you, friends, from the very beginning, from the first century on, there has been an attack on the divinity and the mightiness of Jesus, from the beginning, people wanted to label him as a teacher or a prophet or a rabbi, but when we start dealing with the fact that Jesus is God, incarnate, living amongst us, that's where people have trouble, and whole world religions are divided on this issue. And so I want us to see that our Messiah, that baby born in a manger, is El Gabor, and it changes Everything. So here's the first point, and I'm going to give you a bunch of points at the end for homework today because we cannot possibly cover all the ways in which understanding Jesus as the mighty, mighty one affects our lives. Okay? So I'm just going to give you two points today, and then I'll give you some homework. So the first one is this Jesus, the mighty, mighty one, is the mighty creator. Jesus is the mighty creator. And as Jeremiah the prophet points out, he says in Jeremiah 32, 17, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, how do we know he's talking about Jesus? Great question. I'm glad you asked. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He himself was not the light, he only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's one of my favorite pieces of passages in all the Bible. We could just stop here and just verse by verse, break this down. There's so much here, but everything that exists, exists because of Jesus. It came by Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's all through Jesus. And then Jesus himself stepped down into his own creation. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message paraphrase. It says, he, he, he set up his tent, he pitched his tent, and he dwelt among us. He came down. He moved into our neighborhood. He he lived amongst us. He became one of us. Guys, can you stop for a moment and think about El Gabor, the mighty, mighty one, became one of us. The one who spoke everything into being. Through him, all things were made, and he became one of us. Isaiah 40, 12 through 31, puts it like this This is speaking of the Messiah, the divine creator as mighty over all. And I want to build for you, I want you to understand what understanding who Jesus really is, why it's so critical for us, friends. It says this, it says, who else has held the ocean in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All of the wood in Lebanon's forests and all of Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to Him. In His eyes they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble Him? Can He be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chain? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began, are you ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and he makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will be weak and tired, and young men will fail, will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The mighty God measures the waters of the oceans and the sea between His fingers. What a testimony is this of our awesome, creative, mighty God. Astronomers, they tell us that the Milky Way galaxy contains more than a 100 billion stars. And there are hundreds of billions more galaxies beyond ours. And that's just in our known universe. And as Isaiah points out, he holds all of that in the palm of his hand. What are you and I facing that's bigger and stronger than El Gabor? See, the mighty, mighty one who spoke everything into creation, who created it all, who holds it all together, who understands everything perfectly, what possibly could you and I be facing that he would be unaware of? As he pointed out, he said, oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord doesn't see your troubles? How can a God that powerful, that mighty, that big, that all-encompassing, that omnipresent and omnipotent, how could that mighty God possibly be unaware of you? How could He be unwilling to help? And Jesus demonstrates this for us practically. While Jesus is walking on the earth, He demonstrates His control, His authority over His creation. Mark four thirty five says this, Then that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? You see, they were in trouble, real trouble. Remember, what was the profession of half the guys in that boat? They were professional fishermen, and this wasn't just any lake they were on or any sea they, they were on. It was their home lake, their home sea. They knew this place like the back of their hand, and if they're in a panic that they're going to drown, that you, you better believe that that's what's happening. They're drowning. They're going to die. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is there asleep. Now, why do you think Jesus is sleeping? Two reasons. He's tired. He he was also human while he was here on the earth, and he limited himself, and he was tired. But second, I think he needed them to understand this lesson. Jesus is asleep, and they wake him, and they say, Jesus, don't you even care? How many of you have cried that same prayer before? Jesus, are you unaware of what's going on here? Are you asleep? Are you sleeping in this boat? Are you unaware? And Jesus doesn't even address what they've just said. All he does is stand up and speaks, and the storm is instantly calm. Because Jesus is in full control. Friends, is El Gabor, the mighty, mighty one, still in full control? Is he still able? Is he still mighty? Is he still willing? Does he still have a purpose? Does he still have a plan? Is he still God? And how we answer that question determines everything about how we respond in the boat. How we respond in the storm. You see, because friends, nothing is impossible for Jesus. He is the mighty, mighty one. Someone here today needs to hear me say this. The storm that you are facing right now, Jesus is the mighty, mighty one. El Gabor, that's who he is. And he has all the power in the universe and authority in the universe over whatever it is that you are facing. You don't. Sounds like you might need a friend like him. What are you powerful over? What are you mighty over? Anyone? Nothing. Nothing. In comparison, if I have to trust on my might and my power, I am in real trouble. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 29, Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, "With man, this is impossible." But with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. And you may be facing something like that right right now. With man, this is impossible. There's no way through. There's not a solution. There's not an answer. But good news for you, El Gabor is in the house. The mighty, mighty one. Our Messiah is able and willing. Jesus is the mighty God. He's mighty over all creation. And I start there because understanding that, friends, if he's mighty over creation, what's he not mighty over? If he's the one through whom everything was made, if he's the one that has all of the cosmic power, if he's able to do that, what can he not do? See, because that's what the, the crux of the matter. We, we struggle with things like this. We're like, well, God can create the heavens and the earth out of nothing, but I don't know if he can help me with my marriage. I don't know if this sickness is something that he can help me with. I don't know if my finances are something he can help me with. And friends, we need to come to this place where we say, no, our God, Jesus, is mighty God. And We believe him, that he can do what he says he can do. Because number two, and this is the only other one we're going to look at. The greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need that we ever had, Jesus, number two, is a mighty Savior. He's a mighty Savior. This is really good news that the mighty Creator is also a mighty Savior. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite pieces of Scripture, says it like this, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. And He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now actually, you may not know the term here translated in this text as mighty Savior. Do you know what word it is in Hebrew? El Gabor. The mighty, mighty one is a mighty Savior. And Zephaniah starts off with this incredible sentence. He says, for the Lord your God is living among you. That actually reminds me of another title given to Jesus that we talk an awful lot about at Christmas time, the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You know the the end of the word Emmanuel, that E-L? That's the one we just looked at a second ago. That's Elohim. That's the word for God. God with us. Emmanuel. That's what that word means. And we talk about that and we sing about that a lot. But friends, to understand that mighty God is with us. And He's with us for a reason. He's with us for a purpose. He's with us because we have a need that we cannot solve on our own. And so, Emmanuel, the mighty God, came down to live among us. John 3, 16 and 17 speaks it like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him so that baby Jesus born in Bethlehem El Gabor the mighty God God in the flesh God amongst us God who who dwelt with his people was sent for a purpose was sent on a mission and Jesus himself spoke to us about what his mission on this earth looked like he told us in Luke 19 verse 10 for the son of man that's another name for Jesus another title The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came because of the love of God into this world, not to condemn this world, but to seek and save the lost. God didn't sit back on His throne. Watching humanity as we deconstruct and as we fall apart and as we mess up and as we sin and as we fall away from his purpose and plans and say they need to figure this stuff out. God didn't wait for us to figure out the the way to break the locks of the chains that sin put around our wrists. God didn't wait for us to wake up and come to our senses and return to Him. He knew we were powerless over our ability to defeat the curse of sickness, death, and sin. And so the mighty, mighty God said, I'll do it for them. I'll do for them what they cannot do for themselves. He's El Gabor, he's the mighty God, and he came down from his throne in heaven. You've got to picture this with me, friends. We have these little uh, nativity scenes about, and we see this cute little baby Jesus. You've got to remember that my, almighty God who existed for eternity past, who sat on the throne of heaven, surrounded by praise, in perfect harmony with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was willing to come down and become a human baby. Who pooped himself and spit up and was reliant on a mother to feed him and care for him. Who got cold, who suffered, who struggled, who understood loss and pain. Not born in a palace, born in a barn. This story is ridiculous. That is what Jesus, the mighty, mighty God, was willing to do to seek. And Jesus changes everything. Just as King Ahaz and the people of Judea were looking for help, they were looking, how can we make a deal that will get us out of the trouble that we're in? And God said, don't look for any other deals, just trust me. Friends, God is still saying the same thing to you and I. You are looking for saviors in all the wrong places. Some people trust in horses, some people trust in gold, some people trust in Trust me or the present, you guys. We're in the wrong places. The Savior is El Gabor, the mighty, mighty one sent to save us to restore us and redeem us, because all of us are in need of a Savior. It's the greatest need humanity has. Romans 3.23 puts it like this, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that's good, not even one. All of us are in need of a Savior. All of us are in need of someone to bail us out, to pay the price that we cannot pay because we have given ourselves willingly over into slavery. We've given ourselves and corrupted ourselves and generations of humanity have joined in this rebellion and we all need a Savior. So Paul tells us in Romans 8, 1 through 6, that Jesus comes and He saves us. And look at what else He does. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We all know what goes on in our head. I I don't have to spend a lot of time convincing you that we're broken, right? If I just said, hey, how about if if we had a projector that projected on the wall all throughout the day, the thoughts and emotions and feelings of our mind and our heart, for everyone else to see, how many of you would, would sign up for that, right? No. We know what goes on in our heart. We know what goes on in our mind. We know what comes out of our mouth. In fact, I just love the Danish philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He, he has this quote that I, I think about a lot. He says, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. This work that He's doing in our lives as our Savior is remarkable. Yeah, He's got the power to speak things out of nothing and create things, but even more amazing to me is He can take my sinful heart, my flesh, my my brokenness, and He can redeem it, restore it, transform me, He can give me life in areas of dark. He can do. He's still the God who's working and saving and showing us His miraculous power on a daily basis. So you and I can trust that our mighty God, El Gabor, the one who can hold the universe in the palm of His hand, can also take us sinners and transform us and give us a brand new life. Let's wrap this up. But I want to read for you a text that I just think so well highlights a lot of what I've been talking about today. King David, at the very end of his life, actually it's as part of the coronation ceremony of his son Solomon. This is what he has to say in 1 Chronicles 29, 10-12. This is called David's Prayer. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor, they come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, How many of you this Christmas season would be at a place where you would be aware of your need for the mighty, mighty one to give you His strength. How many of you are feeling like you're at a spot where you're really feeling your own vulnerability, your own weakness, sickness, suffering, pain, hurt, disorder? You're you're feeling The results of this fallen world that we live in, when mighty, mighty God, Jesus, Emmanuel, the Creator and the Savior, is actually giving us promises like we just heard David claim that God wants to give His strength to us all. How many of you could use a dose of that today? Now, as a kid, we sang the song, My God is so great. So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And some of us need to be reminded of that today, that God is great, He's strong, He's mighty, and He's willing to help us. So I've got some homework for you. Maybe there's an area of need that you have in your life, and you'll see these points there in your bulletin, because like I said, I could preach this. We could just stay the rest of the day, because if we wanted to talk about all the ways in which God, the mighty, mighty King, Jesus, it, it, it's all-encompassing. But let me give you some specifics. First, Jesus is mighty over sickness and death, and some of you need to hear that today And some of you should look these scriptures up and really see how does understanding that the mighty, mighty one is mighty over sickness and death, how does that uh, impact and apply to me today? Jesus is mighty over thrones, powers, and dominions. This is good news. Maybe some of you need reminded of that today. As you look at a world in chaos and you look at things around and you're feeling stressed and you're feeling out of control, then you need to be reminded that the mighty, mighty one is on His throne, and He is mighty over thrones, powers, and dominions. Jesus is mighty over our provision, over our provision. So maybe some of you are here today and you are feeling like you are in a lack. You are in a spot where you're in need. You're in a spot where God is not aware of what's going on. Well, I would tell you the Bible has something else to say. Do some reading and see that Jesus is mighty over your provision. And then this is my throw-in, just, Jesus is mighty over everything. All power in heaven and on earth has been given me. Jesus is mighty over everything. So no matter what you are facing right now, Psalm 95, band, you can come back up. Psalm 95, verse 3 through 7. For the Lord is a mighty God a mighty king over all the gods. He rules over the whole earth, from the deepest caves to the highest hills. He rules over the sea, which he made, the land also, which he formed himself. Come, listen to this invitation now. So so what we've just heard is, this is the truth, that, that God is mighty. He's mighty, mighty God, and He's mighty over everything. Every single thing, He made it, He's mighty over it. So here is the response on our part. Come. Let us bow down and worship Him. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people that he cares for the flock for which he provides listen today to what he says so I just believe with all my heart today friends that some of you who are here are facing a crisis are facing trouble are in need and need to be reminded today that Jesus our Emmanuel is El Gibor the mighty, mighty one and that he wants today to demonstrate to you and I his mighty power he's willing he's able and so I think our response should be that of the psalmist to come before the Lord just read verse 6 again Come, come, come. Let us bow down and worship Him. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people He cares for. The flock for which He provides. Listen today to what he says.